Hi, I'm Justin King, and welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. As a five-star recruit, all-Big Ten corner, NFL vet, and Power 5 recruiting coordinator, I understand the emotions that go along with the recruiting process. The Blue Chip Academy is here to provide education, critical insights, and mentorship through the recruiting process for families and athletes alike. When athletes and their families have proper education and guidance, they're able to make better decisions and set themselves up for long-term success. Blue Chip Academy provides the resources and information that empowers athletes to create their own blue chip blueprint and take ownership of their careers. Blue Chip Academy exists because when athletes and their families are armed with the right information, they're able to make the decisions for themselves that positively impact their future. Again, I'll be your host, Justin King, and welcome to Blue Chip Academy. Welcome back to the Blue Chip Academy podcast, the Blueprint to Success interview series, providing unique blueprints, tactical knowledge, and best practice to navigate the critical points in the elite sports ecosystem so athletes and parents can prepare a plan to a career path that any athlete can bank on. We talk about the acceleration path a lot here in sports, just knowing that if you have a path of where you want to go, man, you just got to make sure that you have the right things in place. So our next guest coming from the higher education space is Associate Professor um, of exercise sciences at North, Northern Kentucky University uh, with a basketball background. He oversees all sports science related uh, student activity services. Also, previously a professor at kinesiology at George Mason University, where he served in the Patriot Performance Lab. He also provided physio- physiological and performance consultation to the U.S. Rowing uh, senior national men's and women's rowing teams. His research includes skeletal muscles, changes during a training with analysis via ultrasound, sports performance, and athlete help, athlete workload monitoring, and practical exercise-related research. He also serves on the NC- NSCA Education Committee. Currently, like I said, the Associate, Prof- Associate Professor of Exercise Sciences at Northern Kentucky University. Let's welcome Dr. Jason White, man. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, hey, really appreciate you for having me and um, taking your podcast in this direction. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, I think it's a it's a great thing. Most definitely, man. I appreciate you saying that because it's like uh, people talk about the just the development of an athlete and different things of that nature. And just we talk about the science and the art of treating an athlete when it's coming up through the process, having an acceleration plan. And a lot of times we get into different sports and it's. A lot of just based on athletic ability, just training, different things of that nature. But we just get into the science of everything that's going on, you know, figuring out your body and how it operates is essential to a, the longevity of a career. Because I'll be the first one to admit that, you know, I was probably not the best with just taking care of my body when it was stretching, different things of that nature. And I probably paid for it when I got to the professional levels, when the velocity and everything kind of got crazy. And, you know, I had problems with soft tissue injuries, maintaining my body and different things of that nature. So I went on this deep dive, just trying to understand the body and different things of that nature. So, so happy to have you on to just have your experience and just your perspective and, you know, from where you're sitting and dealing with the science of the body and just the development of it. So we use talk about using sports as a catalyst and you come and have an inside scientific knowledge, everything with the athlete development Going through the recruiting process, how can an athlete holistically prepare their bodies for the next level? And it's, it's, it's real interesting because in my position, I meet with a lot of athletes. I meet with all the college recruits, football, basketball, especially at Ohio University when I worked there. I mean, every single recruit came to see me because I was director of performance sciences for the athletics department. And I always told, especially the the, the minority parents who really don't have the exposure, probably never done this process before, may not have went to college and things like that. The first thing you got to start with is the nutrition. Your kids got to learn how to eat right. And and you get so many student athletes who no vegetables, 
fried food, French fries, and they don't understand what they're doing to their body and how they're inhibiting their maximal performance and their capabilities. And so trying to get that hammer home and get them used to it while they're still with their parents and their parents are still preparing the meals. You know what I mean? It's one of the biggest things I try to do. That nutrition is imperative for success. What In high school, you're, right, you're usually better than everybody, right? If you get recruited, usually better than everybody. But what happens to that margin when you get to college, right? It shrinks, right? And the higher the level you go up, the more that margin shrinks. And sometimes you're going to be on the wrong side of that margin. And every little thing you do matters. So that nutrition aspect and that is one of the biggest things. I mean, I can't teach you how to be a wolf. I can't teach you how to how to be a killer, but but I can give you some science. And that's one of the best things to start with is that nutrition. You got to fuel yourself to win. I love that you started with the nutrition piece because I think, like I said, I'm probably a victim of that. And that's probably the first person outside of a trainer when I was coming up that my parents took me to like 15 years old, went to go see a nutritionist. And to your point, if it's not a buy-in from the parents, it's extremely hard for a kid to, you know, have to eat or do whatever the case may be. I was a skinnier guy coming up. So I, my whole thing was like weight gain and like the proper type of weight gain, running track, keeping your weight on and doing all those different things. And I will say, I mean, I lived with my grandparents at the time and, you know, my grandfather would get up every morning, make the big breakfast at night, making, uh, what's up, Papa? Making boiled eggs, uh, uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But it, it was like, he was committed to the process with me and my cousin, uh, Aaron, going through it when we were going through the nutritional thing. And it's funny that you say that because that was the, this, his speech, right? Like you start talking about athletes and when you get close, the different level of whether it's energy or just focus that comes with like maintaining that. And that's something that like a lot of athletes don't get, like you said, they're better and not, but like, it's really the habit forming um, exactly. situations exactly. that you kind of get. It was like, All right, I'm going to have to eat this. I have to drink this after I get done working, especially in, um, a game like football, do you see any sport that like typically coming into college that are kind of ahead of the curve when it comes to the nutrition piece? From my experience, really is no sport. It's really just, it's really the parents who, who are more active and more involved. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, no real main sport where you see a little bit more, but, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of parents, you know, understand that game night, that pasta, right? When we were all in high school, the coach, the coach didn't know anything about nutrition, right? right. Coach just took and said, you got to go eat some pasta four hours before the game. And that, that's all he knew, you know, at the end of the day. But, but that's about the most, that's the gist of it, what we see at the collegiate level in terms of high school recruits. And then you got a couple of parents who are more involved. Like nowadays, I see his parents who come. And they got their kid, their son or their daughter. And I mean, they are all out. They all about it. They've been to every game, every tournament, they eating right. But that's still a small percentage at the end of the day, you know. And they still don't know that what time you're supposed to eat the foods, what foods you're supposed to eat, you know, how much of you're supposed to eat and things of that nature. So they still don't know a lot of different things. They know what's healthy and not healthy, you know, right. which is a good start. A very, right, very right. good start, by the way. But But that's generally what we see what I saw rather in the positions I've been in. So interesting because like when you get to college, I mean, everybody's goal in college is pretty much the same, right? We're trying to get players from boy to man. So you have the, the right nutrition, the white, the right weightlifting. So I think across the country, when you talk about power five D one, it's kind of similar when you talk about like nutritional support and just how their, their whole mode or the goal of the athlete. When you get to the professional ranks, you know, it's a little different. It's like I always think about that going through the different teams, but playing for the Rams, the Colts, and the Steelers, and that was something that stuck out. Is like when I was with the Rams, 
they were getting sold at the time. And one of the first places that they cut back on was like some of the food we would have, like Popeyes, and they would have catered meals coming in. It wasn't as healthy. And I don't know, maybe maybe it was, but we stunk. Like we weren't <laughs> we weren't good. We didn't have a good record and different things of that nature. And then I went to the Colts and the Steelers, and just from a organizational standpoint, the the Colts had uh, a cafeteria inside where they had uh, cooks that would go grocery shopping for you and different things of that nature if you wanted to mm-hmm. use them to do that. And then we used to the Steelers, just gourmet everything top to bottom. And just that level of taking care of the nutrition and being like seeing the difference in the outcomes there. And I mean, the Rams obviously won the Super Bowl last year, but this was during the selling part. So, you know, yeah. they had to cut some, cut some spins, but Again, I, I like that. That the nutrition part is for me is a is a is a pain one because I feel like my career ended short from not taking care of those things like all the way through. Almost catching on too late. Whether it was when to go see a chiropractor, staying hydrated. Like I had cramping issues when I was in the league and yeah. making sure that I was properly yeah. fueled. And then it's a uh, it's funny because we talk about players and losing weight. When I played, probably about one ninety nine. Now I'm like one seventy five, which is my natural type of way but like all that just through the nutrition and like when you say it to guys coming up it's almost like you're preaching to you know uh like preaching to the choir because i was one of those guys right like not stretching doing those different things being a little bit more athletic but that's just me getting off my soapbox to try to like encourage you guys to listen what uh dr white is saying because it's extremely important and like that's the one thing i look back on my career is just like just that nutritional piece from a hydration standpoint and just taking care of your body I mean, your body is your engine and that's your car to move forward to the next thing. So absolutely correct. And it's crazy you saying that because all the stuff that you just mentioned, we can take care of via science. And and one of the things I always told parents is, you know, hey, and I tell the student athletes this as well and pro athletes. You go buy bands, you go buy a G-Wagon, you buy whatever, how you you got options, right? What gas you can put in it, the 87, the 89 or the 93, right? It's a reason why that 93 costs more. It burn cleaner and make your car run faster, make it run smoother. You're gonna have less issues in the long run. You don't go, you don't go put 87 gas in a brand new Benz. That's not what you do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you're trying to be top flight, you go put the best fuel in your car, best fuel in your engine, and that's what you're gonna get the best results and the most longevity. It's no different. You're talking about cramping, man. We got, we got, we create concoctions out of out of garlic, pepper, and, and ginger, and we know it, it decreases cramping risk. We also make sure you're well hydrated with Pedialyte, things like that. Not game day only, but throughout the week. You know, we make sure you're hydrated at practice. You know, got your potassium, bananas, eating your fruits and things of that nature. All that type of stuff that you're mentioning, nutrition plays a huge role. And I'm a piggyback. I mean, I, I'm trying to drill it in because I'm talking about money loss. I'm telling you, like, I got bitched like week yeah. 10 in my fourth year in the league because I start cramping up late in the games. Yeah. And it was, you know, with a coach, it's a level, a level of trust. Like if Justin's coming out in the fourth quarter and it's two minutes, we got covered guys. And I mean, I know as a coach's kid, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a liability if I can't, yes. not even, not even brute injuries that come with like just sports in general. I'm talking just maintaining soft tissue, soft, soft tissue injuries and cramping and different things of that nature. But so, like I said, that nutritional value, that nutritional habit forming that you need in high school. That's something that we haven't touched on a bunch on Blue Chip Academy, but it is probably the number one most important foundational aspect of a, at least a football player. I mean, across all sports, you I mean, tennis, talking about high volume, running around, just in general, fueling that body. We always talk about either you're a Toyota or Ferrari when we in the personnel department. It's like, what are you going to get? But you got to treat a Ferrari different 
differently than you do a Toyota. I just thought yeah. when I spill the coaches when they try to kill some of our high, you know, high quality players. Like, hey man, you gotta treat those guys a different type of way. Yeah, but possibility um, is availability. That's the <laughs> there we go, man. So jumping into like your recruiting process, just a little retrospective for you. Um hoops and all that good stuff, like the hoops recruiting process is a little different with the AAU and everything coming up. Man, let's talk talk to me talk to me a little bit about how your process went coming out of high school. Oh, you know, I played basketball all my life, but I played all sports growing up. You know, that's okay. what we we were forced to do that in the neighborhood. Like, you know, it was just the old guys, you came out there and you went out there and you got sideline popped. And then, you know, you went out there and you played basketball five on five. And then you went over to the field and, and, and you played baseball. And, you know, and that led to me playing sports all the way throughout my life uh, at the end of the day. And, you know, I got to high school, played sports. I was a quitter a little bit, Justin. You know, <laughs> I didn't have the the, the strong mentality to, okay. to stick with to stick with stuff. You know, my high school was on the other side of town. So I would start out the football season. You know, you got practice in the morning, you got practice afternoon, no way home, riding the bus by yourself for an hour and a half. Midway, you know, halfway through the season, you're like, yeah, eh, you know, that type deal. But gotcha. fortunately, through AAU, I got some exposure, got some small colleges to 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 come contact me, you know, and see if I was interested in playing basketball. And, and the biggest college at the time back then, you know, I'm an old man, but this was a, the a University of Richmond. Okay. And, you know, and, and I literally just shunned them the whole way. Like, I'm not going to Virginia. I'm 17 years old. Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, don't even reach out to me. I'm, you know what I mean? I'm still mama's boy and, and I'm staying at home. I'm not going anywhere. And then, and then out the blue, mama told me, you got to go to college or you got to get out. And, and, and that makes your decisions and that makes that makes you change the decisions you planned on making, man. You know what I mean? When you 18, you either in college or you out my house. Oh, that's it. So did you have an idea when you were a senior that you were going to go to college or when did you start garnering attention from schools? Was it late in the process? So it was it was late in the process. My junior year, I had I did real good in the AAU tournaments. Okay. Played real well. You know what I mean? Got some of these smaller schools to hit me up and see what was going on or whatever have you. And and just didn't have any intention. I didn't know anybody who went to college like that. You know what I mean? This is the mid nineties. I didn't know anybody who, who went to college, you know, got a, got a scholarship to play sports, you know, whatever have you, where I was from, you know, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not from the, from the hood or anything like that, but, but, you know, I mean, I'm from a low middle class, you know, all black area, you know, and, and, and I wouldn't change it for anything, but, but it just wasn't a lot of people went to college the parents before us you know they were factory workers you know what i mean my neighbor's parents my homeboy's parents they were teachers and factory workers you know retiring from ltv steel retiring from general motors and things like that where they could put their family you know give them a good life with my dad had an eighth grade education retired from general motors you know what i mean at the end of the day so it was a little bit different we didn't have a lot of people going to college but i did have some homies who were you know, five, six years older than me that I happened to grow up around who decided that they were going to go to college. And they were tough, play sports, whatever have you, but they also were, you know, smart, book smart, and did their own thing. And that's kind of the background that I had, and that's what I kind of followed at the end of the day. And and so when my mother told me, you got to go to college, I literally applied to Ohio University because my cousin Sherrod went there. 
It's the only reason. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's it. They they, they offer me they offer the me a, yeah they offer me a scholarship because of my SATs, and I said all right. I went ahead. I just went ahead and applied, and he went there. That's it. Sole reason. Sole reason I went to college. I went to. That's it. So yeah. So when you get recruited by other schools, and you were just like, I mean, I just want to apply here. It just wasn't a thought to you to go to college, huh? It wasn't a thought to me. It wasn't something that my 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 mom and dad didn't go to college. Like I said, I ain't had my older brother didn't go. Like I ain't had nobody to look up to. You know, I thought I was just gonna be in Cleveland figuring it out, like everybody else did. Most definitely. So we jump around a little bit from the standpoint of going to college and not even thinking that that was something for you to pursuing. You know, I mean, your doctorate in ex- exercise science and that in that whole space. What was that? What was that? What was that pivoting moment or that triggering point for you? So I, I got to give all the credit to a guy named Fritz Hagerman, who was at who's who was my undergraduate advisor. So I walk into his office, and the only reason I walk into his office, Jake Justin, is because they require you to go see your your advisor if you want to register for classes. So I had no choice but to go see him. So I go see him, and it's my sophomore junior year. I can't remember. And I didn't know he was a renowned physiologist. I didn't know he worked with the Cincinnati Reds, the Florida Marlins, the U.S. Olympic teams. He was the president of USADA, Anti-Doping Association for U.S. You know, he worked. I've been in the room with Pete Rose and him. I've been in the room with with Chuck Knox, call him. You know, all kind of different things going on. I did not know this about the man when I first met him. So I walk into his office and he says, you know, hello, introduces himself. And I, I just asked for my registration codes. I'm trying to leave. And he said, why don't you sit down and have a seat? I said, I just want my registration code. I don't need to sit down. So he gets on this long spiel about how I'm his only African-American advisee and, and how he's been teaching at the university for 30 years and he's going to retire soon and this, that, and other. And I said, I just want my advising code. Let me get out of here. Let me check my box. <laughs> Let me check my box. And then he said, I'll tell you what. He looked at my grades. He said, you got a lot of C's on here. I said, Coach Hunter said C's get degrees. That's all it take. And he said, I'll tell you what. Every semester you get a 3.0. I'll give you $1,000. And I looked at him and said, $1,000? And at the time, we on quarters. So that's $3,000 a year, Justin. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of dough. <laughs> a lot of money. He said, it ain't my money. He got, I got some rich donors. You know what I mean? It ain't my money. I just tell him you helping in the lab. Just get a 3.0. Justin, I never got less than 3.0 again. <laughs> and that was about, about two-year period. He just giving me $1,000 a semester. I'm like, cool, right on. He checked it right on in. It wasn't no problems to it. It was right there. And so... What that did was got my GPA up. It also showed that I can handle higher level classes. And what it wound up doing is allowing me to get into graduate school to get a master's degree. And I didn't think nothing of it. I was just out here trying to get a thousand dollars, man. That was it. That's it. And that's my that's that's what happened. And so he took me under his wing. Next thing you know, like I said, I'm in there with Pete Rose and Florida Marlin players are coming to visit. I'm in there with the men's basketball team doing testing on them. You know what I mean? At the, the, the year before I walk on, I'm in there with the uh, football players. 
I'm in there, you know, we got all these athletes and people coming to this small town, man. I didn't, I didn't know. And like I said, I remember one time we were in there, you know, and, and, and the coach from Pittsburgh calls them and asks them, like, you know, we, we keep losing out in Denver. Like, what do we need to do? And, and he was like, just get in and get out. Don't spend time there. You know what I mean? Your body's not going to acclimate in time to that high, you know, to that altitude. Just go in there, play the game, and get the hell out. And that's what they did. And they went out and beat Denver that year. And it was just crazy. Like, you know, so you, this man knew everybody and knew everything. And I, I had no clue. And he just took me under his wing and had me work with Olympians and things like that, like that, in no time. And so just, you were working in the lab out. and getting a 3.0 after he proposed that to you? Yeah, yep. Okay, so that was like almost like an accelerated plan to an extent where it's like, all right, you're getting this, but like, all right, let me give you some more. And if you do this, yeah, ah, yep. that's funny. That's a, that's a good motivational tactic because like that's kind of how I got serious about football. For my dad, he was like, I mean, I used to play recreationally, playing like the line running. I just like running around, running around. He's like, man, you need to take get the ball. I'm like, ah, I mean, I like hitting and running. You know what I mean? I want to remember the plays, all that stuff. Just something stupid. He's like, I give you twenty bucks a touchdown. Yeah, I'm like 10, 11. I'm like, hold up. Start counting out the touchdown. I'm like, all right, let's get it. And then that kind of even shaped my whole mind on just the value prop from just a player standpoint and where you fit in value-wise. He was a, he was a coach, obviously, but that did put me in a, a certain mind frame. I was like, wait, I can make cheese off of this? Do you start looking at NFL catching? Yeah. And I wonder if that's kind of how your path went. It's like, all right, you get interested in it, start dealing with these different people. And I'm like, well play basketball. I kind of know this. I can speak this language. Like did that were the dream, not the dream, but like the, the path starting to get more clear after that. You know, and, and so uh, you absolutely correct. You know, you can start to realize like, Hey, you know, I'm a basketball walk on, like, you know, it's probably not going to lead to much, you know, at the end of the day, but you start to think like, Oh, you know, you start thinking about coaching. You start thinking about some other things. And then you see this and you're like, well, I can do this. I can still be with these athletes. I can still have a major part of their success, you know, and help them reach their goals at the end of the day, you know, and, and that, that would give me joy and satisfaction to know that I help somebody start from the bottom and, and, and see, follow a path and reach that goal, man, with hard work and dedication, man, you know, and it, and it makes you feel good to see young men and young women really meet, reach, reach their peak, you know what I mean, at Absolutely. the end of the day. So yeah, that, that, that's exactly what you're talking about. And, and, in terms of of the the money thing, I always tell people people you know you know this if you you want to impact somebody or make somebody do something or stop doing something you know affect their pockets and that's that's real easy you know what I mean at the end of the day you know, at the end of the day really we can easy. say what we want motivate all that you know if that don't move them it's like hey maybe it's maybe that's yeah. not there for you know exactly. exactly so we talk about being on a walk on on a basketball team tell me a little bit about that experience like coming in. Getting in, in into the groove of the, of the team and different things of that nature, I always think the walk on experience is a little a little different. And I think a lot of people should know that you know you have to have some, I say, thick skin to kind of go through that process and have some self belief in using it. But there's also some very beneficial things on how you kind of look at the opportunities that are there for you. Because, like you said, you kind of get to that point of like, all right, what am I doing? After this, like, what can I, what can I use this situation for, this opportunity? And a lot of times, guys that aren't or are on scholarship get to that point a little too late, or if they are excelling, and might get there later down the road. Did you feel like that was a competitive advantage for you, maybe as a as a walk on? You know, Justin, on a whole home, 
on a Saturday morning, my homeboy called me and said, I'm about to go try out for the basketball team. I said, and now, mind you, I was already cool with the basketball guys because I would go hoop and go to their open gyms and do all this stuff anyway. You know what I mean? So they had a little bit of familiarity with me. The coaching staff had seen me play a little bit or whatever, have you. And, and so I was like, all right. I went with them. And Saturday morning, we went out there, and, and I just went out there and killed them a little bit. And, and the coach Some pulled buckets. me off to the side and was like, we want you to come to practice every day. We want you to go – we want you to go take this training, take this course, go sign these papers, get this physical, and we want you to come to practice every day. And that's exactly how I went. And I told the coach, I said, I can't come to practice every day. I got this <laughs> biology lab on Tuesdays and Thursdays from, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, <laughs> from two to five, and I, and I can't make it. You know what I mean? But I'll come, I'll come every other day when, I, when I'm able to come. And that's how it went down for me. That's, that's, that's all. It was just that easy. They – he told everybody else to go home after the after the session and, and pull me off to the, to the side and this other big big guy off to the side, you know, and, and that was it. And the first thing you said was, "I can't make it because I got lab." <laughs> That's the first me. thing I said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unless you if he was talking about a scholarship or if he was talking about you know like <clears throat> that's a different, that's a different animal. But but he was he, he didn't say I got a scholarly for you he didn't say anything like that so I say hey, bro like you know I I can come these days and times. I would I would say that's some elite intelligence and awareness for like a college student at that time because anybody that's playing basketball I mean just from being at Penn State working at Penn State or just all around when you have the opportunity whether it was walk ons like those are typically your super trial hard I'll do whatever to get that opportunity but like for you to have that wherewithal I was like no. I have my thing with this exercise science, this exercise physiology thing. And I think this is going to take me a, a little ways, but I will come do the basketball thing as well. And just kind of, kind of give you a, a little bit of accreditation for both. Once you transition back into the exercise science field, whether it's just being in that elite uh, sports realm, did you think that did help you though? Once you started dealing within the D one basketball scene and doing the labs at the same time, again, like I like to talk about accelerated pass because I believe athletes spending all the time that they do to try to get scholarships and time there just so many avenues that come through the sports like you should have an acceleration plan to go there not really fall back and get there but like accelerate because everybody else is you know biggest big thing and you're right the biggest thing for me i loved hoop i love playing hoop like i'll still get up and go hoop now with right. the student athletes and with the with the students in the rec i'll leave work and go play hoop like i just love the hoop you know what i mean at the end of the day i love to compete you know, and that's that's all it really was for me. You know, practice wasn't no big deal. I was just wanted to go compete. I wanted to go play. Like and that's what I wanted to do. But being around those athletes and being around the weight room and seeing how hard people work and seeing what it took and then learning to speak their language and know what it you know what I mean and things like that, it's been very very useful. You know, to understand that you got to go to weights in the morning. Then you go to class for, for four hours. Then you get lunch. And then you got practice for three hours with maybe some film. And then you got dinner. And then you got study tables and people doing it all over again. I can explain that to everybody. I understand that. Like, those are the type of things that go on. You know what I mean? A lot of kids think they're going to come to college. They're going to go to practice. And that's it. They don't know what it entails and, and how much work you got to do. You know how hard it is, and it and and if all you're doing is just going to practice and going to waste, you're doing what everybody else in the country doing. That that's what everybody's doing, you know. So a lot of people don't know you need to go above and beyond, like to stay after practice, to to 
like we talked about earlier, making sure you're eating right, to track yourself, to recover, to get enough sleep, to not be drinking all the time. All these different things that affect your performance. A lot of students don't know because they just want to come to college. To stay, they don't have anybody to tell them these things. You know what I mean? So it helped me really learn to speak the language, understand what student athletes was doing, understanding where they coming from, their viewpoints on things, and allowed me to have a different perspective for sure. Oh, man, that's amazing. While you were at Ohio, I mean, just in college and in the labs, did you have like a memorable experience where you were just kind of like just kind of blown away or just like, you know, drilling and rush like, oh, man, this is like the coolest thing ever. Because like, I always feel like when you get the behind the scenes, whether it's uh, what's that sports gene, like the, the book sports gene and different things of that nature. But there's just certain, I'm like real into it as well. But was there any moment where you were just like, oh, wow, this is this is hitting all my senses? <laughs> I mean, I've seen some impressive things in the lab. You know what I mean? We had, or, or you know, or, or preparing for combines or things like that. I've seen some, I mean, I saw Landon Cohen bench 225, 40 times. I've seen people with, you know, a few people, Chip Cox and these other people with 40, 45 inch verticals. You know what I mean? And things like that. I've had Olympians, you know, marathoners, Craig Leon and people like that come with the highest VO2s. We, you know, I mean, they're, they're in the 80s, you know, high, ridiculously high numbers, insane numbers, you know. And then, can you talk and about then that a little bit? Sport. When you say they're in the 80s of the high VO2, can you talk about that just a little bit just to educate uh, the audience? Okay, so one of the tests that we do to see how in shape you are for aerobic activities, for sports like, you know, long-distance long running, rowing, you know, swimming and things like that, or longer distances, we, we test with a mask your oxygen consumption, how much oxygen your body can take in, the lungs can you take in, your heart can pump to the body and to the muscles. It gives us a very good idea of how in shape you are. So we hook you up to a system and we capture all the air that you breathe and take in and we measure it. And so it's a measurement called milliliters per kilogram per minute the milliliters of oxygen that you take in per kilogram of body weight. And basically to be in the 80s is, is you're in the upper 0.5% of the world, you know, at the end of the day, you know. And, and so to see somebody in here hitting these high numbers like this, you know, 79, 80 mLs per kg per minute, you know, is just exceptional. And, and you know, and and he wasn't, he was an alternate, I believe, for the U.S. marathon team. Like he didn't, he didn't make the team. Dang, you man. know, if I'm not mistaken. So, so I mean, that just lets you know the the type of condition and shape that these runners and some of our rowers, our rowers would often be in the 70s. The males be in the 70s. The women would be in the high 60s, you know, and just exceptional athletes for the U.S. Olympic team. You know what I yeah, mean? About, so to see some of these feats, yeah. That's like full body. That's just continuous. That's a, that's a real... That's a real strenuous sport there. <clears throat> when you see different exactly. athletes like 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 rowers, how, how big are they typically? Are they like tall, tall, tall? lean, you know, six five, six six, six seven, you know, two ten, two fifteen, two twenty, you know, that, that type of area. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. the women, the women, you know, five nine, five ten, five eleven, six foot, you know, real, real solid, real strong, real strong. Yeah, we had our uh, operations person at the XFL, Remy. What's up, Remy? She was a, it's a coxswain, I think, in rowing. Yeah, it's like yeah, the person yeah. that keeps everybody on time, but she's like, you know, yeah. talk about being they a the boat. good yeah. operations they, they're, person. Now they're little. Like, they're little. Yeah, she's, she's yeah, small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
They're the little ones. They, they don't want, you know, no additional weight in the boat. So to steer the boat and everything else and keep them on pace, right? But they don't, they don't want, they want you to be very tiny so you don't weigh the boat down. So like, yeah, sports like that always get to me, man. I, I love them because like, I mean, cycling, track, uh, rowing and different things of that nature where you have to have like marks and it's very into the science of the actual thing, whether it's how much you weigh, how, how your oxygen and different things of that nature. Do any of those sports, I mean, I guess, is there, is there one that leans into the exercise science more than the other? Like that you do? No. You know, those aerobic sports, really, because of the way you got to train, they really do a lot. They lean themselves a lot towards the exercise science, but all sports really do. Right, right. You know, with our football players, Justin, the first thing they do that come on campus, they get body composition tests. We want to see how much fat versus muscle you got, right? So we can make a, a nutrition plan and a training plan to get you, if you want to go pro and you want to play linebacker or you want to play tight end, you want to play DB. Hey, I know that an NFL DB is between nine and 11% fat, mm-hmm. you know, five foot nine, five foot 10, 180, 190 pounds. I know that. I know that every position on the football field, except for quarterback and running back, body fat has proved to be more important in terms of the people who got drafted okay, and the people who made the teams. Every single position except for quarterback and running back. This is just this is just facts. You know what I mean? And, and so we want to you want to go pro? Okay. You you a tight end? I need to get you to 14% body fat. That's where the that's where the NFL tight ends are, the ones that got drafted and the ones that make the teams. They weigh they weigh 220 to 240 pounds. That's what's going on here. So this is where we need you to be. We're not making this plan out of on a whim, right? So some cats got to cut fat. Some cats got to add fat. Some cats got to add muscle. Some cats got to lose weight. Some cats got to add a boatload of muscle. You know what I mean? At the end of the day. But we made that plan specific for you and then that training plan specific for you based on your needs, your goals. Everything is individualized. You want to maximize the team's talent. Yeah, because it's definitely that there's a big piece of the talent acquisition process because we try to get those levers of like whether it's how fast this player is, like, right, all DBs. Or this fast. So if you want to go to the NFL, I mean, I don't care how you feel about what's right or wrong. Like everyone that's been there is under this mark. So taking it to the exercise physiologic, um, exercise science standpoint, when you're talking about body fat and different things. Those are just different. I guess when we talk about filling in the pixels of the full athlete and who the person is, something else to not even consider to master because that is you're just getting yourself in that outlier status, right? When we're talking about going to that top one percent. What are the metrics that line up? Because you have that and then you have your actual skill that you have to perform. But there's like those thresholds that make everyone elite. And that's kind of that is what Dr. White is talking about. So take a quick break right here and do a LIG read. When you guys get a chance, like and subscribe to the YouTube LIG YouTube channel. The LIG Sports Group is an executive sports consulting firm. Mastering the critical points in an elite sports ecosystem, starting with high school with our Blue Chip Academy, where we just give in-depth in resources from the recruiting process, get you on an acceleration plan. Having the right information is a competitive advantage in a competitive industry. Getting into college, we do the strategic partnerships and business development with creating group licenses with NIL partners and different things of that nature, just so we can make sure that players are focusing on their path on the field and building brands off of the field. And we just get into the executive space, making sure that you have the career plan and acceleration path so you can go and pursue your goals that 
sports opened up for you. And at the end of the day, we're here to maintain and provide uh, professional services at every level. And again, if you guys have any questions, we'll have a link at the bottom for free consults and anything that you need in that area. So let's jump back into it. Yeah, so now just, I mean, getting started, I mean, not started, but getting back into it. We see uh, we see different athletes. What's the commonalities and differences among top athletes that you dealt with when they come to like their approach and preparation? You know, I always talk like you can't you can't you can't make somebody be a wolf, right? The wolf is going to go on that hunt, and once it started, it's nothing going to stop it. It's going to track that that deer, that elk, that moose. It's going to track it through the snow, rain, whatever have you, for miles and miles. And once it once it locked in on you, you know what I mean? It's a wrap. That pack of wolves, that's what they do. Like, you can't train that. And so so the, the ones who, who are most successful are the ones who are the most self-motivated and got that wolf mentality. And that's just something you can't teach. You know what I mean? They want it all the time, you know, at the end of the day. And 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 – that that is one of the the mentalities that I see. They go hard. They don't cheat a set. They don't cheat a rep. Right. They go above and beyond. They do extra work. You know, and those types of things. That's 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 one of the common things when I see with people. You know, I've been fortunate enough to work with you know Travis Carey and, and Brandon Hunter and Mike Mitchell and all these cats who went pro from OU. You know what I mean? The ones that made it, like you can see that. They did more than they the did others. more. Like they did more. Like you know what I mean. They did more. It's just fact of the matter. Like it's guys. You out at the bar on Thursday night? Well, they doing a pool workout at eleven o'clock on Thursday night, Friday night. You know what I mean? They taking care of their body. They recovering. You know what I mean? They not putting that liquor in their body. Things like that. Not to say they didn't have a college experience, but this is this is what how they how they did it and how they approached it. You know, at the end of the day, they understood their deficiencies and what did they needed to work on. You know, I we all know what we weren't good at as athlete. You know what your deficiency was. You know right. what I mean. You know what every all the coaches told you you needed to work on. But did you go out there and break your neck to get better at it? You know, and that's what these guys, that's what these men and women do. I like how you broke down that wolf mentality because you always hear like the dog mentality. And I think that gets kind of misconstrued with just a, an emotional response, like at that moment, level of aggression right there. But the way that you put that wolf mentality is having that long-term vision of what you want to do. And like, regardless of what's happening, like I'm tracking that goal. Like yeah. if this gets in my way, like I'm tracking. So I'm still in that wolf mentality because that is more accurate, yes. I think, than any type of dog mentality, what you're looking for, because there's, there's different hurdles, right? It, girlfriend stuff that happens college you know the fans now you got nil get your feelings hurt have a heart a lot of different things that just get guys off their path but that wolf mentality that separates different athletes it's a level of focus at the end of the day you talk about time management it's really about focus management exactly tunnel vision man like this is what it is like this is you know i got a shot you know after i tell a, a kid well the scout for the ravens the scout for such and such was just here for you it's supposed to be Tunnel vision. You know what I mean? Oh, they here looking at me? Oh, bruh, like, okay. Some I'm on somebody's radar. You got you gotta yeah. you gotta be tunnel vision. Like it's time to go. It's time to go. Like, this is my chance. 
you know, at the end Man, of the you day. touched on a little bit about the nutritional aspect or getting with a nutritionist first. Do you have any opinions on when a, a kid or an athlete that wants to take sports serious should get into specialized training? Joe Burrow was training with our strength and conditioning coach when, when he was 13 years old, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> you know, we work with Coach Burrow, his dad, Jimmy Burrow, great guy, great family. You know what I mean? And and, and he was out there in, in eighth grade, if I'm not mistaken, seventh or eighth grade, working out with a college strength coach. You know what I mean? Getting it together, figuring out, watching film with his dad. You know what I mean? Who was the defensive coordinator, breaking down film, you know, watching football practice at the college level, doing all these different things. And it wasn't because he 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 was being forced to do it, but because he had tunnel vision. I didn't realize his dad was a defensive coordinator. Dad was the dad cool guy, man. You know, de- defensive coordinator under Frank Solich for a long time. Oh, that makes perfect sense. So you got a defensive coordinator teaching a quarterback. Kind of what's going on from eighth grade all the way up, man. We always talk about everybody knows the glory, but never the story. Like, it makes sense. Like, Steve Jobs is building computers for Hewlett Packard at 17, or Bill Gates messing with computers that NASA and the United States government had at 11 years old before everybody else. Like, there's a, you know, him and Paul Allen, right? Like, there's a reason certain people come out. That's the outlier method or philosophy. So, like, what's your philosophy when it comes to like athlete development? So, I mean, you know, you, you realize when someone has some talent and some abilities, right? I don't care if you you ranked in the number eight in the, the sixth grade class of 2033. You know, I mean, I ain't talking about that. You know, that's some, you know, if you are ranked like that, then great. But that, to me, like, you can see when somebody got some talents and abilities. And most young people fall right into their sport, falling right into what they do, Right. Because they're good at that. You see the dude who's faster than everybody, all of a sudden it's no crazy. It's not crazy that he runs track or he's a wide receiver. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, he fell into what he what he could do. You know, so so at any point in time after that person shows commitment to that, you return that and put your investment into somebody. You can't make you can't you can't make a withdrawal out of out of your kids, out of out of somebody without making an investment. You can't you gotta make a deposit before you make a withdrawal. You know, so that's something that they like to do, something they, they enjoy doing. You should foster it and show them discipline, you know, and, and support them and going in that direction, especially if they have some success at it and they enjoy doing it. So it's never too early to say, hey, and teach somebody a life lesson and say, hey, if you want to be great at this, you want to be the best at this, you like doing this, this is what it takes, right? And I'm willing to do these things. You know, it doesn't have to be overbearing or anything like that, just in the terms of player development. You know, well, we got to eat better. You got to eat some vegetables every night. You know what I'm saying? You got to wake up and practice. Get your shots up in the morning before class, before you take a shower. You know, it's just little things, you know, that you can do to start to develop that athlete, give them the right mentality, and prepare them for what they might see. That's a, that's a true competitive advantage. I mean, I love everything that you said. We talk about using sports as a catalyst or a career that you can bank on. And we talk about just an acceleration path and like all those things line up with that tremendously because like you said, it's a, it's a team effort. We talk about having a family asset. Like when you start getting into this elite process, like you said, with Joe Burrow at in seventh, eighth grade, he's with his dad and he's at the facility doing the different things. And so it's, it's, a, it's an asset. Like he's not out there by himself. Like there's a level of getting that jump start where the family has to be on board on what's going on. So we try to tell the parents, 
and the athletes. Like, yo, we both have a it's a team, it's a team effort when we get into this thing. And like you said, a life lesson, right? Like what better life lesson than to learn like a craft that you love and you're like in a billion dollar business at that point where you can have a lot of different avenues and critical perspectives on different avenues in the business. So I, I love that I love that philosophy when it comes to just athlete development because that's I mean, that's where we pride every, our things here on the LIG Sports Group and Blue Chip Academy. Um, so dealing with coaches on a regular basis, we always know that they have their ways of, hey, we want the schedule being like this. And now you see the sports science coming more into the game, whether it's counting the, uh, like the catapult, the GPS, seeing how fast guys are moving with their the whoop, how are they sleeping, how are they recovering, and different things of that nature. You know, coming from the personnel background, I mean, I'm always arguing with coaches about how good a player is. I think you're just saying that because you're a coach. I would imagine it's similar for someone in exercise science field that's arguing about coaches, uh, coaching schedules and like how hard they should be working. How do you handle those disagreements when it comes to managing player workloads or building schedules? Well, you know, I tell the coach everything I do is objective. It's not subjective. Everything I do is based on science and all I'm doing is reading you the data, you know, and, and, you know, you, you, you got to be right. You got to be right. Because once you're wrong a couple of times, them coaches, they don't trust you anymore. So you got to be right. You know, but but you always err on the side of caution. And I think that's going, that's just across the board nowadays. It's not like when I was younger or when you were younger. You, you know, it, everything you played through, everything you made it happen. Like, you know, it's a major investment in athletics now. It's a major investment in athletes. So I think we err on the side of caution. And you see that, especially like in pro sports. You know, when these 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 athletes, you know, have low management days and things like that, they're saying they're doing low management. Well, you know, they're wearing the catapult. They're wearing they're wearing the whoops. They're wearing these different polar pro systems and things like that that tell them like, hey, he did this drill at, at 15 miles per hour for the first five weeks of the season. This last two weeks, week or two, he's done it. He's only done it at 11, 12 miles per hour. You know, hey. Okay, we need to pull back on them a little bit and say, hey, like, let's let them have a day off or let's let them have a half practice or something of that nature so he can recover a little bit, you know, at the end of the day. Let's make sure he gets with the athletic trainer and, and, and gets any, you know, anything he may need, ultrasound, dry needling, whatever have you, massage, whatever have you, because we can identify that from the player tech, from the wearable technology that this is not how he normally does these things, you know. We can have you jump on the force plate and see how much force you create. And, and five weeks later, you, you're creating half the force. And you landed on one leg. You know, well, we know something wrong with the opposite leg and that you're not creating the right of force. It's just all objective. So I tell the coach, hey, he normally here. Right now, he here. You make the call, but don't say nobody told you, you know, at yeah, the end of the day. This is hard, yeah. Yeah, you know, what's no, my suggestion? Real... No, that's what, no, go ahead, finish. What, and then you want to know what my suggestion is? Here's my suggestion. That's what you should do. Okay. And then we retest them again and see what's going on. Like, and that, and that's how it, that's how I talk to them. You know, the coach, the coach makes the ultimate decision along with the doctor. You know what I mean? At the MD at the end of the day. Right. I mean, that is very insightful because we talked about just different things, whether it's traveling for teams, like the teams going away games. I know when I was at Penn State, we realized like our guys 
were actually resting better on away games when they were coming home because they didn't have like late games because they didn't have time to go out or do anything. So like they recovered much better than we did at a 12 o'clock game at home because, you know, you get home three o'clock, you're not really resting. You're rushing out with your family, getting out and it's getting active. It's like, wait, why are we more tired? Why are we like more tired or you know, me just more exhausted and our levels aren't as high after a home game with all this time, but we play six o'clock away and these guys are rested up. It's like, Oh, the sleep, the whoop, all these other different things. And just like putting those puzzle pieces together. It's like, it takes a lot of critical thinking skills. And especially with an emotional game, like football, it was always interesting to me. Cause you know, it's like football, you fall in line from what the coaches say. And then you get these departments, like the recruiting department, sports science departments, like it's always back and forth. It's like, ah, I think this, I think that it's just, I'm always interested to see how to get the point across because there's a there's a science to getting the point across. I guess what I'm saying. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. And you know, it's better when you can speak the language a little bit too, as well, right? I could talk to a coach in basketball about the plays, you know, about the you know, defense, about zones, about reading, you know, you know, double high post, you know, flex, you know, whatever, pick pick and rolls. You know, I could talk to him about that. I can go to talk to a football coach. About cover four, cover three, cover two, you know what I mean? A gap, B gap, double A gap, whatever have you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I can go talk to them about these different things. So when you can put the science together along with understanding the sport, like that gives me a definite advantage compared to a typical person who really, you know, I'm a nerd, but most people are only nerds, right? They don't know the sport, right? right. Most people know the sport, but they don't know the science. So to be able to merge those two things together is the advantage that I have and why I've been pretty successful with what I do, you know, at the end of the day. Because I can speak to the coaches. I can speak to the players. I can speak to, to people in the lab. I can put all this stuff together and tell you how it's going to translate on the field and where you can use it. And kudos to you on that because that creates a dynamic. That, that creates the dynamic professional of the 21st century. Right? We talk about using sports as a catalyst and just having that dual lane, just experience, right? Being able to talk the language of the players and having the science background to go along with it. Like that's why we always talk about just throughout Blue Chip Academy, we see like the coaches that have gone through the process or executives that have gone through the process that were once players and just having that critical view. And like it creates, you have to go through different learning pains or, you know, you start off as an athlete. Sometimes you're behind in certain things of that nature and off the field. But like, if you take that time and take the different assets that you have as an athlete, you create this dynamic professional. That's really hard to deal with, but you have to put the right pieces in place and just not say like, Oh, just because I play basketball, I know the science because I get tired. I mean, I drink my water. Like it's not, it's, it's show some humility and learn a little bit uh, of this side to understand it. And then you can merge it and be, like you say, like a dynamic professional like yourself and all those great things. Um, Thank you, man. So you were working in college and the, in the lab and different things of that nature. So when you're building a staff for yourself, so what would it, what kind of things would you look for in an athlete or some, some critical traits of people to work in the lab with you? Like, like if there was an athlete that's looking forward to getting into, you know, kinesiology or exercise science and all that, those different things, you know, you got to have an interest in the in the human body, how it works, how it functions, right? And you got to have a deep understanding of that and how the human body changes over, over a lifetime. You know, that's one of the first things. I can't treat an 18-year-old, you know, athlete the same way I treat a 37-year-old rower who I'm working with. You know, their, their training is going to be different. Their recovery is going to be different. Their needs are, are completely different. So you have to understand the human body and how it changes and things of that nature and adapts. Um, second of all, with athletes, you got to understand who you're dealing with. You know, 
athletes, you've been in the locker room, you had teammates, Justin, you've been all the, in a variety of different settings. You know, you got people who are straight and narrow, going to do everything you say. And you got people who ain't going to show up on time, who not going to follow anything you got to say, but you still, you can't boot them to the side. They still a part of this team. Right. So you got to find a way to be able to reach them as well and meet them where they are. You got to be adaptive. You know, I need people who are solu- solutions oriented. You can you can complain about such and such every day till the cows come home. That's not going to change such and such as outcomes. That's not going to change what he does. Right. I need solutions. We need to meet him where he is. And let's be solutions oriented and get everybody on the same page as, as well as possible. So that's really what I look for at the end of the day. We have to be solutions oriented. We have to realize that working with these athletes is individualized. Every athlete don't run a four point, run a four, two, 40, four, three, 40, four, four, 40. But the ones that do, I don't need to work on that. I just need to maintain that. Right. What do I need to improve? So this athlete with the four, three, 40 can be more successful. And then this athlete with the four, eight, 40, I need to get him down to a four, four. Four, three, four, five, right? It's very individualized. We gotta, I, we gotta test you and figure it out and see what your deficiencies are, so we can make you a more complete athlete. Right. If you train everybody the exact same way, right? You're gonna help some people in some aspects, and then you're gonna hurt some people in other aspects. That's so. That's so true, man. I, I thought it was profound that even you saying that from like the sports science standpoint, because I always thought you know. Uh, Nick Saban came out, and I mean, a couple of years back, talked to, talking about coaching players or coaching teams, individual coaching, right? Like, no, you coach player A different than you coach player C because you got to get the maximum, you got to get the maximum thing out of each individual player. It's not just my way. It's not a blanket thing. And sometimes in football, you know, it's a commoditized sport when you talk about a, you know, across the board when it's the individualized player is not really celebrated. But to be able to coach and like specify, oh, this person needs to be treated this way. This guy needs to be treated like this. Cause I had that problem going to Penn, at Penn state. I used to do different lifts on the weekend because I came out of high school. I had like a high intensity or Olympic weight training type of situation. And up there was high intensity, you know, all those different things. And I just thought I was losing a little bit of explosion. So I was just like, hold up, we can't all do this. Like I'm built to do this. You know what I mean? But you know, there's a level of different things of whether it's being healthy. So like lining up that philosophy for athletes and, um, programs is big because we talk about going through the recruiting process. The number one thing that I feel like that I feel athletes should continue to look at is the coach, not the coaching staff, but the strength and conditioning staff, because like they're, you're going to be spending all your time with them. And at the end of the day, you have to get along with them in order for you to see any type of improvement on your body and with the coaches and throughout your career. Because I mean, the mental warfare where that happens when those things don't click I mean, I've seen it derail careers, and it's actually very important for the development of the athlete. So, I mean, those are great points that you definitely brung up. But um, great point that you're making because, you, like you said, the strength and conditioning staff. I mean, that is who is training you to improve over that four or five, six year period, right? That's who is maximizing your potential physically, right? Right? Taking right. that's this is who you are trusting to. Make sure you're the best version of you off the field athletically, right? I'm not talking about catching the pass. I'm not talking about running the play. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about just physically. 
So they got to do a great job. And you've seen some incidences in the past, some incidents in the past where some of these strength and conditioning staffs have been questionable, right? right? You remember some things where you're talking about these, these players going into the hospital, you know, with, with, with muscle, severe muscle damage, and they're suing the university and things like that. You've seen these types of things. So you got to really put your trust in that strength and conditioning staff that they know what they're doing, and they're going to maximize your talent and potential. And you need to ask a lot of these young young players and recruits need to ask the, the specific question to the strength and conditioning coach when they get there and make sure you understand and have an idea of what his or her plan is for you to maximize your talents. Because I'm telling you, it's, it's crucial. And that comes with having a baseline knowledge of your body coming into the situation, to be honest with you, because if you don't really know, it's just like, hey, whatever you say, and it's just a matter of you're not working hard enough or you're not tough enough to do X, Y, and Z. Sometimes I think I had so much information. I, sometimes it was a detriment. I'm like, I'm fighting because I, I know this works for me. It's like, all right, yeah. I'll do it here. But it's, you know, working out, you got to believe in the whole the whole aspect of it. But that's a very interesting point there. Um, yeah. Which trends are you seeing with the modern elite athlete? Is there any trends that you're seeing where maybe younger high school or college guys need to be like, all right, LeBron's doing this, this guy's doing that, or this top tennis player is doing X, Y, and Z? You know, at the higher level, when you can afford so much different stuff, it is completely different than when you're at a lower level and you can't afford this tech. You know, at the higher level, we have tech that tracks everything, Justin. We can track how fast your bar moves when you lift weights. So we know if you're improving at that same weight or if you're getting slower or whatever have you. It tracks how much loading you do throughout that entire training session. You know, so we can see how you compare it to the last week when you did it as well. Like we, the tech is amazing nowadays. We can get so much information about training and training outcomes from the tech. Then you got recovery. You know, you go to different universities. They got cryo chambers at certain universities. I stopped by University, West Virginia University. They got cryo chambers, man. You know, the, the, and things like that. And, the, you, you know, there's people with, with, with um, high altitude chambers, you know, and, and, and oxygen chambers and all these different things for training purposes. You know, so you start to see everybody trying everything. But but what I noticed from a lot of people who are successful for a long time, the biggest trends I know is that they got a masseuse. They got a cook. They got a physio or somebody that they work with for training and recovery and rehab. They going to yoga. They staying flexible. They doing those types of things, right? And taking care of their bodies. That's what the biggest trends I know. They are investing in themselves. The successful athletes invest in themselves. They are willing to give out a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars a year to make ten million. You know what I mean? They are doing those types of things. That's the that's the biggest trend I see out of successful athletes, at least the ones that I know and are familiar with. I would completely agree with that, man, just from the standpoint of investing in your body and just having the mentality of that's where, where you're investing that money. Like, you can't take a withdrawal without putting that money in. I had a big speech from me, one of my guests that came on, Ron Bartel. And, you know, when I was coming up, he was like, had these expensive masseuses come in. I'm like, I ain't, I ain't paying for that. And he like, kind of snapped on me, like, take care of your body. Like, we're doing X, Y, Z. You might get hurt, you getting hurt and stuff, but you buy Jordans, you buy these shoes. Like, yeah. understanding where this stuff's coming from and where it's going in those deposits. And that's the one thing, again, I talk about it, but just that whole 
holistic aspect of taking care of an athlete. It's like, like you said, it's like a foreign car. Like yeah. until someone got a bill like it, like there is literally different things or everything. I remember backing out of my car, had a Range Rover and hit the, uh, the rear view mirror or the side mirror. So it, it was like $3,500. I'm like, what, man, just for this? Like, it's like, hold up, man. But that's kind of how athletes need to treat themselves, whether it's how they go out yeah. on the weekend, how they perform out of the out of the classroom when they go out and do different things, whether it's just how you're on your career path so you can make that easy transition out because people do remember how you operate as an athlete, whether it's your your techniques like you as a as a as a doctor um in uh exercise science, you know, you see how athletes, their habits that are forming, like how on point people are. So whether they transition in this industry or not, you kind of have a framework of that athlete. Yeah, I mean, because mm-hmm. the numbers do tell a story a lot of times yeah. <laughs> of who you're dealing with. Yeah, for sure, for sure, without a doubt. But but if you if your body is what makes money for you, you need to take care of your body. Period. And point. If you blank. wanted to make money for you, you need to take care of your body. <laughs> Period. Point blank. Period. Point blank. Right. You know, just like if I'm a trucker and I'm driving long haul truck, and my truck is what 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 pays my bills, I take care of that truck. Right. You know, at the end of the day, it's it's just it's just if that's how you're going to support yourself, you got to take care of what's going to what's going to get you that income. Absolutely, man. This has been a great episode, just great interview and just a lot of details and information on just the process and just elite athlete development. So for you, what's your career end goal, Dr. White? Well, you know. I'm getting old, just man. So you know, it's, I'm I'm looking at retirement. But but I mean, you know, at the end of the day, like I would love to continue to work with athletes and maximize their talents and potentials. You know, I still do testing. I still work with athletes. I got a VO2 machine. I do that VO2 testing. I still design training plans and things like that. Body composition, nutritional plans, all this different stuff depending on your sport. So I still do those types of things. I got to meet with some U.S. rowers on Wednesday. We got to figure out the plan. So. You know, they ready to go for 2024, you know, that type, that type of deal. So, you know, that like I still would love to do that. I enjoy working at the college level. I enjoy teaching, you know, but sometimes, you know, I got to do a little bit more as a minority in the field that I'm in. You know, you probably went to Penn State. I don't know how many black male professors you saw, you know, outside Mm -hmm. of, of certain, you know, departments. Right. You know, we might be pigeonholed in certain departments. But how many did you see teaching science and physiology? you know, and things like that at a huge institution like Penn State. You know, I think at at Ohio University, man, you know, I think I was one of maybe two male black professors on campus, you know, at the end of the day. And and when I say black, I I, I mean African-American, born in America, raised here, you know, whatever have you, you know, so so no knock about nothing else. I'm just talking about, you know, right, like, coming from where I come from, coming from the city and, and made it and raised and made it. That's all, you know, and, and being here, I think shows a lot of young men, really a lot of young black kids, period, point blank, like, Oh, all right. You know what I'm saying? Like I see somebody who been here, who doing it, who ain't walking around, you know, I, I, I wear a button up shirt, you know, and, <laughs> and some slacks, but I, you know, at the end of the day, he relatable. You know what I mean? He understand what it's like to come from the city, you know, and, and he 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 cool. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day. And I think I think that really helps them develop and understand like, OK, it's a way I can approach this. I can still 
make some things happen. I got somebody to help with guidance. And I think so that's a big calling for me, Justin, long story short, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, I'm at these predominantly white institutions and, 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 and they need people like me. So, so some of these young, some young students can have somebody to talk to, you know, get some guidance, get some advice and do what, what Fritz Hagerman did for me. I've given a lot of kids scholarships, mm-hmm. you know, and, and paid them for, for being in the lab and things like that. And I watched those former students go on and become, you know, chiropractors and go to med school and become physicians and, and, and call all kind of different things. You know what I mean? Because I was able to give them a thousand dollars a semester or something like that, just like somebody did for me. So, so, you know, for me, I think continuing this path for a little bit and, and then maybe eventually going on to like a dean or something like that, where I can make some more decisions, hire more minority faculty, you know, and those types of things and, and, and help guide them through their, their process as well might be something along the way. I love that, man. Each one, teach one, right? Like showing the ways and that representation is so important. Like, I mean, I wanted to do what I wanted to do in life from seeing somebody, you know, at the NFL level or just the different aspects around sports business. Like, oh, there's someone that looks like me. Maybe I can lock in on that. And that's so important. Like you said, from a just a didactic standpoint of sports, right? Like, all right, exercise, physiology, physiology, exercise science. Let's just keep it simple. But, um, you know, looking at that and just seeing that there's people that are in the space that are doing what uh, they want to do and kind of can form your own blueprint and acceleration plan to be able to, you know, put those pieces together. Because I think a lot of times it is a level of exposure because like, I think the earlier you're exposed to the different career paths and different ways that you can see yourself fitting in, not only just surviving, but dominating in it. Right. Like we were like, hey, I can speak to the athletes. I can speak to the the scientists and and both and just kind of make a dynamic professional. Remember, like Dr. White said, man, just make that deposit before you make a withdrawal throughout your uh, career and just the different aspects, including tech into your recovery, your preparation and everything of that, man. Like the whole piece of athlete development is taking a scientific approach. And at the end of the day, you don't want to get left behind. So get on. And again, availability is your best best trait in this elite sports game. So like and subscribe to like like this video, subscribe to the channel, a lot of information and the codes to get through this elite uh, sports ecosystem. Download the checklist, the recruiting um, checklist that we have so you can make an informed decisions. And like, again, we have a recruiting, a sports business masterclass going through all the intricacies of the sports business and recruiting process and what you need to do so you can have an acceleration plan ready to take forth and use those as a competitive advantage as you're going through this process. Dr. White, thank you so much again for jumping on to the podcast, man. We really appreciate your presence and all the, all the gems and just all the things that you dropped on us today, man. So appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to a nerd talk for a while, man. And, and, and you know, allowing me to, to 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 share a different point of view on the sports world and how how things can can really improve performance. Every every little bit matters. And when you were at the Olympic level, the pro level, you know, it's Olympic medals we lost, Justin, with tenths of a second. You know what I mean? So what little thing could you have done to make up a tenth of a second? You know, for example. So every little thing matters. But thanks so much for having me and listening. Hey. It's about that wolf mentality, right? At the end of the day. Wolf mentality. We'll sign off on that, the wolf mentality. Thanks, guys, for uh, joining. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Blue Chip Academy. To help navigate the recruiting waters, LIG Sports Group put together a Blue Chip Recruiting Checklist. Download your checklist at LIGsports.com Blue Chip Academy to ensure you're making informed decisions through this process. 
Hit subscribe and check out the LIG Sports Group Football Ops and Recruiting YouTube channel, where we'll talk about the recruiting and other critical points in the football ecosystem. If you're feeling stressed, confused, or just want help putting together a blue chip blueprint for you and your son, don't hesitate to book a console call with me at LIGsports.com backslash Blue Chip Academy. Remember, everyone has a different journey. Keep sharpening and remember that you can only go to one school. Just make sure that you have your blue chip blueprint together and execute it. Life is good.